Good morning, my friends. Man, it's good to be back with you guys again for another opportunity to share the word and encourage one another. Thank you guys for your love and your support. And um, this is a sweet congregation. And I, I do just want to take some time just to say uh, we at Covenant Baptist Church, we love y'all. You guys are such a good church. And this is a sweet congregation. Pastor Bo, he, he thinks highly of you all. And I think that's a blessing. And as our brother did share, man, we are in some interesting times. You know, and it's just interesting to see all the pain and the hurt as soon as you turn on the news. And it kills us. It kills me. And I think the thing that's most frustrating about it is that I'm watching my generation take this opportunity and just dive into the deepness of sin. And it hurts. That's where we need this congregation and other congregations to intercede, to pray, to engage, and, and, and see the vast opportunities of, of gospel ministry. And we need it, man. We need it here in Valdosta, and boy, do we need it in, in our nation. But this, this is our home, at least for this time. The Lord has us here. And so there is a work that needs to be done, and we should recognize that and, and ask God to strengthen us and, and give us the vision and give us the, the means necessary to accomplish this great task. And so today is a special day as well. It's actually a day that the Southern Baptist Convention has set aside to pray for the persecuted church. And we have many brothers and sisters outside of the United States who are in contexts where the gospel is secluded and there's danger and great harm for our brothers and sisters like us meeting today across the world. And so before we begin, I'd like for us to at least you know, honor them and honor our brothers and sisters there and ask God to give them favor and protection in contexts that are very difficult. Let's pray for them real quick. Our Father and our most gracious God, thank you for the breath of life today. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to gather in this room, even in the midst of uncertain times, but open up your word and see faces and hug each other or social distance each other and just give each other encouragement. God, this is a gift that comes from you. And you've brought this body together, Charity Baptist Church, the members in this body. You've brought them together to do a work for your kingdom and your glory. So thank you, Father, for my friends, my brothers and sisters here in this room. And Lord, as we take this time to reflect and think about our brothers and sisters across the world, Lord, our minds are drawn to the persecuted church and for the pastors and the members and the leaders involved in ministering to the body who are, who are suffering, who are being persecuted because of their faith. God, we, we pray you protect them, that you give them vigor and confidence in you. But Lord, help them to, to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit and not rely on the flesh and cling to faith. No matter what they're going through, Father, you know. You, you know the you, you know the struggles. And so through our prayers and the prayers across the United States who are praying for the, the, the persecuted church, be with our brothers and sisters this morning or evening, God. Give them vigor that comes from you. And we pray all these things in Christ's most holy and precious name. Amen and amen. And so, my friends, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Matthew Matthew 25, where we are going to look at a familiar story and a passage that many of us have heard, especially if you've grown up in the church for any length of time. You know, many of you are familiar with the story as the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25. Other ways some teachers or scholars have identified this story is that it's the parable of the wise and the foolish bridesmaids. So with that, a distinction has been made, and I think that's important, and I think you'll see why that's important later as we work through this sermon. Okay. And so uh, hopefully you are there in Matthew 25, and, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and we'll, be, we'll begin in verse 1. The word of the Lord says this, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But with the wise took their flask of oils, or excuse me, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. 
as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And I do appreciate the prayer that was mentioned earlier because we are living in a time where at any moment the Lord Jesus Christ can return. And that's a blessing. That's, that's an amazing truth to know that Christ, at any point in time, no matter how chaotic it may seem right now in our world or in our country and other countries, Jesus can return. But, but that puts us in a precarious spot. It puts us in a spot to where we need to reevaluate our lives and look deep within our hearts and understand this or ask ourselves this question. Are we ready? So the title for this sermon is Watch and be ready, a, stool, a, a study on the foolish and the wise bridesmaids. You know, many of us here in this room, we, we love a good story. We, we love to learn, we love to read and find something new. For many of us, the, the perfect day quite possibly would be, you know, having a good book, a cup of coffee, and a quiet place to read. Those days are gone for me with three kids, but... I'm sure many of you can probably relate. You know, there's a real joy in understanding and learning something new. But, but when you, what do you do when you come across something that you don't understand? I mean, do, do we take the time to research it, to understand a topic? Do you ask someone for help who knows more about the, the topic than you? I mean, what, what, what do you do? Unfortunately, when, when I'm reading and I come across something difficult... Oftentimes, I, I just skip it. I, I don't pay much attention to what's going on in the text, and I unfortunately at times move on. And, and I've done that sometimes with some difficult texts in the Scripture. I need your prayers on that, right? We need to work on that. And that's bad. I, I know that's bad, but I'm, I'm just being honest. In my mind, I just don't have the time. And honestly, maybe I, I just don't care as much as the author of a secular book or the Scripture. But what about the Bible? I wonder, what is our approach to when we come to reading the Bible? Is this your attitude, like, like me at times, where we see something difficult and we're just like, let's just pass over it and not try and understand what, what the author is actually saying? You know, we, we stick to the things that we know, and that's a good thing. We, we stick to the story, like the, the story of David and Goliath, or, or Jonah and the whale, because these are fantastic stories, and they're familiar to us. But sometimes we don't do the hard work in finding meaning. We don't sweat it out. We don't linger, meditate, and ask God to give us the wisdom that we need to understand these difficult passages. Unfortunately, like me, many of us, we just skip it, you know? If this is your attitude, my prayer is that it changes. My prayer, that, my prayer for this morning is that we ask God to give us the wisdom to understand the, the, the biblical text. We need to ask God to wake us up, to help us listen, learn, and live out what the Scriptures are teaching us. So therefore, we can take the core values, what's being instituted here in this church, and we can be a body that's passionately living for the kingdom of God because you are in Christ Jesus. Powerfully living out the gospel because you are in Christ. And let's return back to the text. You know, the story here, it's set in, in the kingdom of heaven. And we see that in verse 1. And, and this is important because... And I also think this is interesting. In Matthew's gospel, 
the phrase kingdom of heaven is mentioned over 30 times. So for Matthew, it's an important title or it's an important theme for him. Again, in verse 1, we also see the context of the story. And then next we see the setting. The setting of the story takes place around a Jewish wedding. Immediately, there are cultural customs and barriers that we're not familiar with. In many of us in the West, we have different customs and cultures. And even though ethnically I'm Filipino, I was mostly raised here in the United States. And so I'm more familiar with Western cultures, customs, and weddings. But this is Eastern. This is Jewish. And it takes, the story takes place around a Jewish wedding. And Jesus knows this, and his audience, the people he is speaking to, they would know this. So a Jewish wedding would be very familiar to them. And next, we get a glimpse of, if you look at the text, one of the most bizarre weddings ever, right? We have a wedding party. You have a bridegroom. But guess who's missing? There is no bride. That's not a wedding. This is a, this is a difficult story. It is bizarre. At best, you can possibly say a, a bride is implied because of the bridegroom, but she's not there. Where's the bride in the story? She's not important. At least in this story, she's not important. And I think when Jesus is, is teaching this parable to, to the crowds that are around him, this would have raised eyebrows, right? We know in our culture, you have to have a bride. <laughs> you want a wedding? You've got to have a bride and a bridegroom. <laughs> One's missing here. And so it would have raised eyebrows, but it's for a particular purpose. It should catch their attention like it's catching our attention this morning. So, so why the wedding ceremony? Why? One reason is that Jesus is, is using this to, to keep the group engaged. This, this is a form of storytelling, communicating through parables, which allows the storyteller, like, like, like me or, or Pastor Bo or someone who has, who has the platform, to create a story to help keep you engaged and make his point. Right? Parables are, are difficult at times. But the crowds, they're supposed to pick up on the things that they're familiar with. Right? It should allow them to pause, ask questions, so that they can find meaning in the story. So we, we have where it's taking place in the kingdom of heaven. We have a different kind of wedding with a bride that's missing. And next we're introduced to the characters. There are ten bridesmaids. A bridegroom, and again, no bride. But notice this about the bridesmaids. They're, they're broken up into two distinct categories. Five are foolish. And the five are wise. And the foolish are described in, in one way. And the wise are described in another way. They're directly contrasting each other in the story. And this is on purpose. It's to help us as the reader of the story to understand there are distinct differences between what's taking place with this group versus the other. And so by the end of the story you will know why one group is foolish and why the other one is wise. And so as we conclude, as we'll conclude very soon, at the end, hopefully you have, you'll experience the tension that's taking place in the story. You'll, you'll see their responses and you'll feel the gut-wrenching words from the bridegroom that's found in verses 12 and 13. This is important because as Jesus was speaking back then, it still applies to us today. The parable ends with a profound statement. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So what does that mean? How, how are we supposed to understand the parables? How are we supposed to understand the parable of the wise, or excuse me, of the foolish and wise bridesmaids? Let me give you some principles to help us understand. Principle number one, all, parable, all parables are mysterious. There's always a form of mystery in each parable. And thankful, there are times where the Bible speaks to parables to help enlighten us on what they mean. Amen. Thank you so much, Father, for allowing us to, 
to understand the text by the text itself. So principle number one, parables, they're always mysterious. If we don't understand them the first time, that's okay. We keep reading, we keep discussing, we keep asking questions to find meaning. Principle number two, parables are designed to separate the members in the audience. What I mean by separation is those who are listening versus those who are not listening. Right? You think about when Jesus is teaching his parables, there are many crowds. But there are only a few who follow, and there are many who do not follow. And so parables are designed to separate the members of the audience. Matthew 13 says this, The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Jesus responds, he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. And this is daunting because Jesus, again, is, is, is quoting the, the, the prophets of old. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of, of Isaiah. You will, you, will ever, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Some daunting words with, with parables, right? And many of us, we were on that track at one point in time in our life. Jesus follows the traditions of the prophets in using the parables or language in the parables to help teach and separate the crowds. And that, that's for us to understand as well. Where do you lie when you hear the word of God? Where, where do you stand? Do you stand in following him or disobeying him? The parable functions as both a message of judgment and, and or salvation to the hearer. Only those who hear and see the Word of God respond. That's a blessing. So for you, you who have faith, you, you who see and hear the Word of God and you respond, you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But for, for the ones who are hearing but yet not understanding or listening, the text challenges you again. Repent and believe that the Lord is king and he is on the throne. Third parable. The, the details, believe it or not, the details are not the point of the parable. The symbolism is the point in each parable. Each parable has one main point, and the details in the story are, are to support that. And so the bride that's missing is actually supporting what's taking place in the text. You know, we see example of this again in the Gospel of Matthew with the unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter 18. The section begins with Peter asking a penetrating question. How many times, Lord, shall I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And how does Jesus respond? He responds most famously, not with just seven times, Peter, but 70 times times seven, implying that forgiveness should be constant and continuous. There's no limit to how many times we should forgive a brother or a sister who forgives or sins against us. And so let's, let's look at the story. Let's go ahead and turn to Matthew 18 real quick. And after this, we'll go back to the parable found in Matthew 25 and look at this story. The unmerciful servants, Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. And just for the sake of time, I'll just take some highlights and summarize the text. But keep it there for, as a frame of reference for us as we study Matthew and his gospel this morning. You know, the story involves a king, a servant, better known as the unmerciful servant, and then another servant. The king's servant owes him a massive debt that he cannot pay, and because of his situation, what does the unmerciful servant do? He pleads for mercy. And upon hearing his request, the king, he grants him pardon. The king has paid his debts and said, you are now free. 
And he's talking to the unmerciful God in the story. We, we understand that, right? But the story takes a dark turn. What does the unmerciful servant do? The newly forgiven man sees someone who owes him some money. And make a mental note. It's, it's not anywhere close to what he owed the king. And like the unmerciful servant, the servant pleads for mercy with him. And he says, please, forgive, please have mercy on me. But what does the unmerciful servant do to this man? He doesn't forgive him. He, him. he sentences him to jail. And little did the unmerciful servant know, news traveled fast and it reached the ears of the king. And the king hears about what has taken place and he confronts the man. I've just forgiven you of this massive debt. And so what does the king do? He rightfully punishes him for his lack of mercy and forgiveness. He should have learned. He should have done likewise what the king had done for him, but he didn't do it. Of all the people in the community, the unmerciful servant should have been the one person who knew how to forgive because he was forgiven much. But he doesn't. And the story ends with him paying back his debt in a harsh way. Because why? He could not forgive. And so parables, you know, the... the, the, the the picture or the details as, as being presented to us as the reader, they are fueling one main point. One main point. So we, we've gone through three, three principles, and here is the fourth one. Let, let me just repeat the principles just for sake of uh, clarity. One, they are mysterious. Parables are mysterious. Two, parables are designed to separate the audience. Three, the details are not the point of the parable, but the symbolism. Each parable has a main point. And the fourth principle, meaning can be found in the context of where a passage is located. And so Matthew 25 is located in this, sex that many, in this section that many of us know called the Olivet Discourse, where repeatedly Jesus is teaching, be ready, be ready, I'm coming soon. I'm coming in the thief of the night. One will be taken, one will be left. Be ready. And so this parable is found in this section as well. Watch, verse 13 of 25. Watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour. So context helps us understand what Jesus is talking about. The Olivet Discourse is such a difficult section to understand sometimes. But there are three things that we at least can identify that's found consistently in chapters 24, 25. Judgment is coming. Number two, a separation between the wise and the foolish will take place at the second coming of Christ. And number three, how are you going to get ready for His return? Christians, we, we live in this already but not yet period where we are home, but we're trying to get home. There's a process of getting there. While we live in the flesh, what does the Bible tell us to do? We live in the Spirit, or by the Spirit. So while we have life, we're still in this tension. We are home, but we're trying to get home. So how are you getting ready? How are we getting ready for Jesus to return? Remember, judgment is coming. A separation will take place at the last day. And only the faithful will be spared. Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from, dorm uh, from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, and the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every, uh, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and throw into, is thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Remember we'll just mention it in red in 25? Jesus says this here in, 21, or in, in chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, 
Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. These are daunting words. Challenging words that we need to hear. Because there's a warning. So let's look at Let's look back again at our text and ask ourselves a couple questions, okay? Who are the foolish bridesmaids? They're interesting. Matthew uses two words to describe two specific groups. One is foolish and the other is wise. And remember, this is, this is intentional. We can't miss the point. This is crucial in understanding the parable because we have to know the difference between both parties in order to fully understand what it means to keep watch or be ready. You know, foolish is a strong word. Another way to define foolish is the word stupidity or the word stupid. In original language, we get our word moron from this. Webster defines foolish or moronic person as one who is notably lacking in good judgments. One scholar says this about the word foolish. The the, the foolish one is the one that's identified in Scripture. He's the one who does not follow the way of Jesus' wisdom. Other texts define uh, foolish in this way. Proverbs 1 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What, What does it say about fools? Fools despise wisdom, and they despise instruction. Proverbs 12, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. We have a lot of that going on today. A lot of foolish people living their life today. But a a wise man, he, he listens to advice. Proverbs 14, one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil. But listen to this about a fool. A fool is reckless and careless. One way Matthew illustrates a foolish person is found in Matthew 7, the foolish and the wise builders. The foolish builder. Jesus says this about the foolish one. Everyone who hears the word of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And what happened to the house? It crashed. In other words, the foolish person has heard the truth, the word of God, but he does not put them into practice. Instead, he chooses another way, the way of destruction. And and listen to how the foolish are described here in the parable. The foolish bridesmaids, they are the ones, they don't have oil. They are unprepared from the very beginning. And immediately, we are struck with their poor decision. We're struck with their poor decision, their lack, and their lack of preparation. How could they forget the essentials? This is a group of bridesmaids who are all unprepared, the five foolish ones. They are all unprepared. And notice, foolishness is shared within that group. It affects five other people. Proverbs 13 again speaks this. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. And so again, thinking back at the foolish, what takes place? They have no, they have no oil. And when midnight strikes, both groups respond. And what do we see about the foolish bridesmaids? Because of their lack of preparation and because they respond in foolishness, they beg for oil. They, they beg for something that's not their own. In my view here, they, 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 they personify a sense of arrogance and entitlement because they were unprepared. They had the audacity to ask the wise bridesmaids for their oil to only benefit them. This is not a lesson on on sharing or the lack thereof. This is a picture of poor stewardship, poor planning, and poor preparation. In the Olivet Discourse, we're reminded two women in the kitchen, one will be left, 
one will be taken. Two men in the field, one will be left, one will be taken. The point is this, the foolish have not listened to the words of Jesus. They didn't believe that he was coming back at a time that they didn't know. And so when Jesus shows back up, they are not ready. Daunting words and words that we are preaching, are teaching, are encouraging our people to recognize and understand. If you are professing to be a Christian, you live like one and you are always ready. Always Think about the life of Christ. The reason why it was so powerful was because he was who he is and who he professed to be. The Son of God, he never wavered, he never failed, and he was completely consistent. And as Christians, we're called to do the same thing. There's no pressure with that. The pressure comes when we rely on our own strength. But the Scriptures teach us another way. When you're in Christ, you live by the Spirit, and you represent Him. That means you, you lean on the power from God, not yourself. And you're always ready. You're always prepared. There will come a time when the Son of Man returns, and it will be too late. One commentator says is when Christ returns, it will be too late for those who have not previously come into right relationship with Him. That is confirmed by the fact that when they attempt to enter the home in this parable to participate in the marriage feast, they are denied entrance. The foolish bridesmaids are denied entrance into the party. And so, as the audience, or as the reader, we, we, we must pay attention to the last scene. When it's too late, it's too late. The foolish have missed their opportunity. Daunting words. But, as we mentioned earlier, parables function as both a, a sign of judgment and salvation. So if you are hearing and you are listening and you respond, you prepare like the wise bridesmaids. When it's too late, it's too late. Listen to the dialogue between the foolish ones and the bridegroom. Verse 11, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. They're thinking, you know us. We're part of the party. We're part of the, you know, the wedding, the wedding party here. You should know us. Verse 12, but he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. That sounds familiar. The text that we just read in, in Matthew 7, on judgment day, on that final day, Many will call him Lord, Lord, thinking they know him. But in reality, God does not know them. And they will be denied access to the kingdom of heaven. This is a troubling scene back in Matthew 7. And I hope and pray we capture the seriousness of what, what's being portrayed there in that text. And even here in our text this morning, the foolish have failed. They have not lived a life of faith, and therefore their words and their actions stand in condemnation of them in contrast to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you know anybody like that today? Right now, we're discipling a young man who professes to know the Lord, but his actions and words completely deny it. It's painful. It's painful to see Brother, I know you are living in sin by the testimony of your life and what you communicated to us and to others. And we're, we're, we want you to repent of your sins. But he continues and continues and continues. It is painful to see them. Loved ones, friends, and even maybe, maybe ourselves. And so Jesus, again, is using his word as a warning. Come be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. But we, ha we have examples of foolish ones all throughout the Gospels. And it helps us understand that the foolish bridesmaids are, are just one picture of what it means to be foolish. That there are many examples. So, so let me give you some examples of what it means to be a foolish one. It's an arrogant, power-loving king named Herod. It's prideful and self-righteous Pharisees and Sadducees 
who believe they've earned their righteousness before God. It's the evil one, Satan, who, is, who, attempts to, who, who tempts the Messiah only to fail and lose. It's the crowds who follow Jesus for a time only to turn away when they hear the cost of discipleship. It's the ethnic people of God, Jews and Gentiles, who, 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 who or excuse me, Jews, who want a type of a Messiah that only benefits them. It's the wealthy young man who finds, who, who, who finds living for the things of this world, who finds his life in living for the things of this world. And, and lastly, it's a foolish disciple of Jesus who walks with him and he talks with him. And he saw Jesus perform miracles and interact with the crowds. And he's heard his teachings. But he betrays King Jesus for only 30 pieces of silver. All of these and much more represent the foolish crowd because every single one of them lived a life that was opposed to faith. They disobeyed the Lord. They do not have a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees, and thus their judgment, their doom, and their destruction is justified before God because they have heard the gospel message and rejected it. They've heard the truth and rejected it. The foolish have heard the word of God, but have chosen to do things differently. They've lied to themselves. They believe the lie is, is what counts for their own righteousness. This is why we're praying for the persecuted church. They are going out to the nations, preaching this gospel to those who have yet to hear. Because so many are living their life according to their own standards. They're lost. They do not have faith. They, they find their faith in their work, their identity, their job, their riches, and the people they associate with. They, they see all those things over the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and such were some of us. Think of the crowds. Think of Judas. Think of the twelve. Both were so close. Both ate and drank with Jesus. Both watched Him work. But even still, some missed out. Matthew 16, for what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? The song that we just sang. For you who believe, it is well with your soul is because of the work of Christ. It is well with your soul. For the Son of Man is coming to come, or is going to come with his angels and in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay to each person according to what he has done. And where are we spiritually? Are we casually getting by, believing the lie that you don't have to give everything up to follow the Lord Jesus? Matthew 16 again. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Instead of living sacrificially, are we falling for the lie from the evil one and living for ourselves? Instead of killing our sin, are we letting it grow, fester, and destroy ourselves and in this church? We've, diff we, we've faced some difficulties at, our, at my church in Covenant. It's been difficult. We've had to fight through sin like many churches. We've had to ask for forgiveness, reconcile. We've, we're trying our best to implement the scriptures and the teachings, but man, the evil one's strong. But you who act in faith, cling to the cross, God will work. The foolish ones are the ones who ignore the teachings of Christ time after time again. Don't be numb to the teachings of Christ. Persevere. Listen. Ask God to wake up your heart and respond in faith. The foolish bridesmaids, they thought of a different way. They were unprepared from the very beginning, and their lives are a representation of that in this parable. And who are the, the wise bridesmaids? The wise, they, they are the ones who have learned through practice to live prudently with discernment. And who not only know the truth, but they act upon it. I mean, this is directly tied to the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one scholar says this about the word why. It, it's, it's, it's a picture, or it describes this. It's a descriptor of everyday practical wisdom. Wise people. They, they personify practical wisdom every day. 
And it comes from an intentional life of virtue. The wise in the scriptures have encountered King Jesus and they have obeyed. They in turn love the commands of God. They love the commands of God. And Jesus shows us what it means to live and what it means to be human. The wise are the faithful ones. They have heard the word of God and they have chosen to follow Him. They center their lives around the kingdom of God and His righteousness and His teachings. They have heard and responded in truth and in obedience. The teachings to the wise, or excuse me, the teachings of Jesus to the wise, they're not a burden. They actually free them from the grips of sin and allow them to follow Jesus in faith. The wise see the teachings of Christ as bringing them out of darkness into God's glorious light. And who are the wise in Matthew's Gospel? It's a humble mother named Mary, a faithful father named Joseph, wise men from the east, lowly fishermen, tax collectors, and zealots now turn disciples to Jesus Christ. It's a man with leprosy, a Roman centurion, a blind man who now sees both physically and spiritually. And it's lastly, a Pharisee, who at the end of Matthew's Gospel, he, he follows the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know him as Joseph Arimathea. In Matthew's Gospel, each of these are pictures of God's redemptive work. They were once foolish, but have now become wise and have entered into the kingdom of God and gone through the door and accepted by the bridegroom. The wise in the parable, they're all prepared. Like so many of the examples here in Matthew's Gospel, they live prepared. Because if you are truly born of God, you don't live unprepared. You're ready. You're constantly checking your heart. You're constantly acting, asking God for help. You're choosing to live by faith. You're willing to sacrifice all that you have for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are convinced that Jesus is worth living, dying, and giving everything up for. You practice what you preach, and it's noticed by God and by your brother and sister. He does not turn you away because he knows. He knows you are one of his own. And to be known by the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Church, that's a blessing. That's a gift. That's love. The wise are the ones who have learned through practice to live prudently. To live prudently with discernment. And when they hear the truth, they act upon it. The foolish ones, the foolish ones, they do not listen to the words of Jesus. And they do not put his teachings into practice. So who are the wise? They're the faithful ones. They've heard the word. They've, been, they, they've listened. They've, they've responded. And they are preparing. Or they have been prepared. Too. So what does it mean to keep watch? As we conclude this message, let's think about this question. What does it mean to keep watch? The, the wise are always watchful. They're always prepared, but the foolish, they're, they're, they're twiddling their thumbs. They're making excuses. And they don't take Jesus seriously. You know, in the original text, the word watch means to be alert, to be careful, or to be responsible. Oftentimes, it's, this, it's used an analogy of a guard on, on top of a gate. And the guard's only job is, is to keep watch for enemies or for predators. And so if an enemy threatens or attacks, that the job who's keeping watch alerts the king and the offenses, hey, wake up! They're about to attack us. Let's respond. Being on watch means to always be ready. It means to be ready for battle. It means to be ready to fight against sin. It means to be ready at any, any moment. Think about it, church. At any moment for Christ's return. Keeping watch means we don't take breaks. There are no shortcuts. There's only living 
in the truth of the gospel every second of every day. Jesus has warned the group several times. The Son of Man will come at a time that no one is expecting. So, the only way for us to be prepared or to keep watch is to always be on guard. Live in obedience always. Do not let up and neglect the warning. We cannot do this on our own strength, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't obey. We can't respond. We can't be faithful. And many of you have seen that in your life, and you've seen it in this church. Invest in each other's lives. Encourage one another. Point each other the truth. Say, let's, let's, let's stay prepared. Let's stay ready. Jesus can literally come any time. Will you be foolish or will you be wise? And so let, let me just end with three principles in just how to keep watch. We keep watch by praying always. Luke 21 says this, But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. Watch by always praying. The, the plea was sent out earlier. We, we need prayer warriors in this church. And many of you are. Keep Praying. Keep trusting in God to work and to act. Prayer is our, our participation in trusting God and relying on Him and His wisdom. Praying places our heart in submission to God. In prayer, we pour out our souls to God. And in the process of pouring out our souls, our souls are nourished by Him. Our spirits are revitalized and our attitudes are conformed to God and to His character. Prayer helps us focus on the promises of God. And it keeps us on watch. Pray always. Number two, watch by taking the warnings of Christ seriously. But what if you are living unprepared right now this morning? If Jesus was to return today, would you be ready? Are you taking the matters of the kingdom of God seriously or lightly? I mean, all you got to do is look at your life. Look at your fruit. Seek the counsel of other wise members in this church. Talk to Pastor Bo. Talk to your deacons. Be engaged in conversation. I'm struggling with truth. I need the Lord to help me. What do you see in my life that, that, that needs some correcting or that needs some encouragement? Am I understanding or interpreting this correctly? If not, pray with me. My friend, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Don't delay right now. Don't delay. Jesus can again come at any time. So watch by always watch by always be praying. Watch by taking the warnings of Christ seriously. And lastly, watch by checking your heart. Matthew has already described to us that the road to destruction is wide. He tells us that in his gospel. If you profess to know Christ, you must preach the gospel to yourself every second of every day. How are you shepherding your heart? Are you filling it with the things of God or are you filling it with the things of this world? We need to check. I still am tempted. Tempted by the things of this world at times. And I, I hate it. But through the prayers of the saints, other brothers and sisters in Christ, we can intercede for each other. You take church seriously. You take your own personal serious. Uh, do you take your own personal holiness seriously? If you were to knock on the door, if you were that, if you were one of the ten individuals here in this story, and knock on the door, would Jesus welcome you in, or will he close it because he does not know you? The warnings of Christ are clear. They're consistent. They're timeless. We have a hurting generation right now. They need to hear the gospel of Christ. Many of them believe that they are doing what's right in their own eyes. So what do we do as a church? We pray. We watch. All, we always watch in ourselves and our hearts. We go out. We share. We 
teach, we demonstrate the powerful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and pray that the Lord works. So as we close, listen to the final dialogue between the bridegroom, God. Verse 11, Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. He can come anytime. I hope you are prepared and ready. Let's pray. Our Father and our most gracious God, we love you because you first have loved us. And Lord, as we are here this morning and we have discussed your text, God, challenge our hearts. Help us to reflect and think, are we ready? Are we ready for you to return? And if not, God, there's work that needs to be done this, this morning or this, this afternoon. God, this, this message is both one of judgment and of salvation. So penetrate our hearts, Father, if we have not trusted in your Son, Jesus, and his gospel. And I pray for my friends, I pray for my brothers and sisters here in this church, that you encourage them, and that, Lord, if they are living by faith, you use this parable to speak to their hearts and to help them understand. Being watchful and being ready is all. I mean, it, you're always prepared, and we can do that in joy. It's, it's not a burden. We can, we can't do this in our strength, but you giving us the strength to do it, Father, we can actually do it in joy and in confidence through you. So, for the ones who are struggling this morning with sin, and their own personal holiness, remind them of the work of Christ that is sufficient them to lean on him. God, thank you for Pastor Bo and his passion and his love for this church. I pray you protect them, protect his family, use him, Lord, as he's ministering to this beautiful flock here, Charity Baptist Church. God, you've redeemed so many from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We see that here, my brothers and sisters. So encourage us, Lord. Help us to check our hearts. And I pray, Father, as we enter a time of response, that if you are tugging our hearts or if you're speaking to us, that we do business with you right now. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.